all sing it to the Lord today. service last night and we could never in advance determine what kind of service we'll have uh, it is time that we get back to the reality that God had judge uh, had judge and is judging the world and we in the church should pay attention to this because when uh, wrath is ex executed on the ungodly it is sad if God's people fall in the same category of the ungodly. One of the reasons for that is that uh, in the book of Revelation, I have my finger in, in Paul's epistle to the church at Corinth, but just for a moment, I want to take you back into Revelation, the eight, 18th chapter of Revelation. In the book of Revelation chapter 18, and um, we have, as a fellowship, used the scripture many, many a times to say that this is, uh, the popular verse is verse 4. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Emphasis was made for many, many years on the concept of come out of her, my people. And the thought promoted uh, for years, endless years, was that everyone that is not a part of this fellowship, anyone that's not a part of the Gospel Assembly Church fellowship is a part of Babylon, church-wise. We preach a gospel that Babylon has three parts, but we like to harp on the religious aspect quite a lot. Uh, we like to harp on the religious aspect because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel good and it makes us condemn uh, those that are not a part of us. Um, on uh, last week, I used the scripture uh, in Luke the 18th chapter, is that? 18 chapter, I got you fingered in Revelation, but in Luke, uh, the 18 chapter, I use the scripture about this woman that was in need. I don't want the whole chapter. But there was a part here where Jesus made a statement. He said in verse 8, Luke 18, verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, God is, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man, that is, when Jesus returns, shall he find faith on the earth? Big question. And it is time that we stop fiddling around with traditionalism and whatever was handed down to us 
and start to figure out if somebody did not uh, have it actually accurate as it should be. And it says here in verse 9, And he spake this parable unto certain individuals. He was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these religious the religious element in that period of time uh, that existed, he said he spoke this after the certain which trusted in themselves. It is one thing to trust God. It's another thing to have confidence in yourself. When someone say, uh, would say, make a statement like, I trust God, most of the times they're not trusting God. When someone says, I, well, I trust, you know, you ever ask someone, would I see you on Wednesday night? And they say, God willing. That's a phrase a child of God should not use because it's too light, too frivolous. Um, well, would you have breakfast tomorrow? God willing. No, you've got to get up. You've got to make it. You've got to be willing. Uh, there are times we pass the blame on God or we pass the buck on the devil. But you and I are in this world and we should take on human, we should see human responsibility as a very serious element for our physical and spiritual development. And uh, when Jesus said these people trusted in themselves, it is one thing to say, trust, I trust God, trust God, trust God. No, to trust God means you have absolute confidence in God. As we sit here in church today, many of us, we trust the government. Many of us, we trust the medicine cabinet. And that includes the doctors and the pharmacies and everyone else that goes along with that. Many of us, we trust commerce and what the commercial world says. And we trust politics and what the political world says. We trust everything except trust God. We trust God maybe 10% of all the other things that we trust. But as we grow in God, we develop a confidence in God and you must give God a, a chance in your life. For example, when I have a headache, I have a serious headache. When I have a serious headache, here is one area I don't trust the medicine cabinet. When I have a serious headache, I don't run to the pill bottle. Quickly, I pray and hope that as it comes, it will go. Remember the one time I told you the experience I had with um, uh, what is that sickness that makes you vertigo. vertigo. I had a problem with vertigo and I woke up and I couldn't stand straight. I'm, finding a dizziness and when I try to find it from someone they say you got vertigo it makes you lose balance and the whole room spins around I got up and I'm busy because I have things to do and then vertigo made an attack on me and I said vertigo I rebuke you and guess what there was no more vertigo you know I wish I could do that with my bank account and so I believe in uh, occupying myself but I must come to the place of trusting God you start in little steps to trust God you start by little steps don't run to the solution that they have out in the world 
run to God. Don't spend your life looking at YouTube and what it has. I'm saying don't feed your mind on all kinds of junk and expect to trust God uh, to grow spiritually. Uh, if you want to grow spiritually, you have to start pray more. When you don't pray, it means you trust yourself more than you trust God. A prayerless person does not trust God. I'm going to say that again. A prayerless person does not trust God. And today, before the service comes to an end, I'll talk a little bit about this father that we are uh, about di discussing here today. But Paul, uh, Jesus said here, uh, there are individuals that trusted in themselves uh, that they were righteous. And when you come to that place, you feel you're the best thing, you despise other individuals. If our fellowship always feels that we are top of the world and it causes us to despise other religions and other denominations and we really feel superior to them, uh, that's not the Spirit of God. It is not the right spirit. Jesus condemned that spirit. And so back here in Revelation, we have used the scripture in Revelation 18 and verse 4 to come out of her, my people, uh, saying that God's got people out there in Babylon and they need to come out. And so when you come out of the Assemblies of God or you come out of the Baptist Church or you come out of the Presbyterian Church and you become a part of Gospel Assembly Church, you're out of Babylon, we say. I don't believe that is true. I don't believe our interpretation of this scripture is accurate. Well, our ancestors taught us that. Well, we need to re-examine what our ancestors passed on to us. Love has nothing to do. Perfect love has nothing to do with iniquity. Iniquity is man-made fabricated methods of worship of God. If the band is playing and you feel you got a boogie woogie, a caravana, uh, um, Mardi Gras spirit, we st I'll stop the band. If the band is blowing majestic music and you want to wiggle, I will stop the band. The moment you go behind that drum to play it, you must think that God is a majestic God. He is a great king and must be worshipped that way. We cannot bring our cultures from wherever we're coming from into the church and feel God will accept that. He will not. He will not accept strange fire. When he says seven times around the walls of Jericho, one time seven days for seven days, and on the seventh day, seven times, he meant that. If they did six times and shouted, no walls will fall. When the, when the prophet told Naaman to dip seven times in the river Jordan, he didn't mean five and a half. He said seven times. When Jesus said, cast your net to Peter on the right side of the boat, he didn't mean left, he meant right. When God commands, we need to follow his commands. And when we introduce into the work of God anything that's contrary to God, God will not accept it. Now this morning I'm sitting down there 
And I thought went through my mind, and I want you saints to check this out. Some of you scholars, check it out. When someone has COVID-19 seriously, does it affect their brains? I want you to find out. I want statistics. Does it affect their behavior? Does it uh, alter their function in society? Because if it does, we have to cater for accepting that and God can heal them. God can deliver them. But we need to understand these things. We're dealing with a, a, a situation in the world. And so when the Lord said here in Revelation 18 and verse uh, 4, he says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, John is hearing a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, the people outside of the body, strangers, he said, come out of her, my people. His people were in Babylon. And Babylon is not a building, it's a spirit. Many, many years ago when I came on into this fellowship and I felt God brought me in, not to save the fellowship, the fellowship was saving themselves. But um, I felt that God brought me in and he gave me a message. And one of the things I promoted in those early days when we were in Dufferin Street was the spirit of the age. We have to watch the spirit of the age. Do you know ministers laughed at me? Do you know ministers would say, well, let's go to sing again the spirit of the age. Do you know in time it became an evident fact that the spirit of the age is what we need to watch out? And Babylon is not a building, it's a spirit. Babylon is a system of operation that includes not only three parts that says commercial, political, and religious. Because commercial in, involves a lot of things, fashions and sports and everything. It's intermingled. Babylon is, has many tentacles, not just three, but we glorify ourselves by condemning just the religious element while we invest in the money market. Hundreds of thousands of dollars we spent in commercial Babylon, we condemned the religious Babylon. This message has not been preached properly yet. As God touches our mind, I want you to understand that when the scripture says, come out of her, my people, we are my people. And you're sitting here, but in your heart, there are traits of Babylon, there's traits of the world. The other terminology I prefer to use for Babylon is the world. They're traits of the world. You have your fallen nature and that's bad enough. But beyond your fallen nature, they're traits of, of the world, of fashions and concepts and, and theology and all this kinds of stuff that's a part of the world that Jesus met when he came. When Jesus, before he came, Israel had religion. They had the Pharisees, they had the Sadducees, they had the Essenes, they had the Nazarite. Israel was not lacking religion. Jesus came and the synagogue was operating. 
And the Pharisees, the straightest of sect of the Jewish religion, existed. And the Sadducees were also a part of the Sanhedrin in that time. And when Jesus came, before he came, God sent John the Baptist. And though these men searched the scriptures daily, the Lord decided to send a different man called John the Baptist, son of a priest, but the Lord sent him in the wilderness for a few years to train him. There was no Bible school in the wilderness. There was no seminary in the wilderness. There was no college in the wilderness. There was no university in the wilderness. There was no school of the prophets in the wilderness. And John the Baptist, you can, in one page, less than one page, you can write all that he preached. When you saw him on Monday, he would say, repent, you generation of vipers, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you saw him Tuesday, repent, you generation of vipers, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He had a short message like that. But there was a man sent from God. His name was John. Short message like that. But it was what God wanted to be preached. What the Pharisees had and the Sadducees had were scripture, but they were not present truth. John preached present truth. Small message like that. And Jesus said, among them born of women, there was not one greater than John. He was God's man. I pray every day. Every day that God, it's my desire every day. I shouldn't say I pray every day, but I pray every day, but not for this. But it is my desire every day that God will raise up a man and raise up a ministry that thinks the way I think. That see the things I see. That are convinced in their heart the way I'm convinced in my heart concerning the work of God that are not gullible, that are not just susceptible to any uh, tradition or fantasies that's out in religion. I pray every day. And you know, this past week, I finally heard from someone that I stopped talking and let him talk. And he talked and talked and talked not baloney, not wind. I listened to the concept that he promoted and every message that I could think of for the past year was in, on his lips this past week. And I don't know, but I'm saying there is still hope that someone can have the vision. You understand? And, and the reason why we need a ministry that can carry on what you're doing, because if we don't have a ministry higher than what I am and stronger than what, who I am, then the church will collapse. Jesus told his disciples, he says, you must do greater things than I have done. See, Jesus spoke of John. He says, John was a bright and shining light. And you were willing to abide in that light for a season. 
So John was a bright and shining light, but when Jesus came, he had brighter light than that of John. So did the disciples have a lesser light than that of Jesus? I'm asking a question. Did you think the disciples, when Jesus left them, he left them with lesser light and lesser possibility than what he had? See, Jesus said, I have things to tell you, but you're not ready to bear. Well, those things, when he was ready to leave, he turned to his disciples. He says, I give to you, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He gave his authority, the authority that he had, and greater authority to his disciples to do greater works than he had done. So John was a bright and shining light, and that was wonderful. How, what was his light? A short message, but it was what God wanted preached. A lot of the messages preached in the body of Christ, as well as around the world in other denominations, is not what God once preached. That's what I'm convinced. It was in the past when Job wrote and he says there is one among a thousand that is a messenger from God. I'm not Job, but I'm going to tell not from the book of Job, but I'll tell you. There's one among a million that is a messenger from God today. And you best pray that God has touched my mind, otherwise you'll be left. You'd either be able to, you follow a blind leader and go into the ditch, or you'll reject the truth and be lost anyways. Because what I preach is truth, and it comes from my heart, and I don't need a textbook. I'm not here today by chance. I go back many, many years, and I can see my calling when God called me and sent me into the ministry. And my prayer and desire is that God would raise up individuals with that not only message and understanding of the message, but the spirit of the message. And when you feel you've got a grasp of the message, you become a target for the devil. Because polyparroting the message does not call you to the ministry. Memorizing the message and even watering the message does not mean you're called to the ministry. Of course, a lot of people don't even know how to water the message. You see, I preached some lessons in this church and I've gone over and listened to those lessons and because we've got the Bible, you don't need what Brother Singh says. You'll use Brother Singh's name like Jesus used on the mousetrap just to give yourself credibility, but you don't really care what Brother Singh says. You want to get what Isaiah said and Jeremiah says. The good thing about the early church, they did not have Bibles. The good thing about the early church, they did not have Bibles. When Paul opened his mouth, Timothy had to take that from Paul's mouth. And that takes us to the point that, you know, we need to come out of Babylon because Babylon is in us. 
Desires for the world is in us. Carnal desire is in desires are in us. And so when we come to the point over here in 1 Corinthians, and I've got 10 minutes to finish uh, my talk here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he makes a statement like this. He says in verse 16, verse 15, uh, verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, the apostle Paul is trying to save the church of Corinth. He wrote three letters to this church. Where is Paul's letter that he wrote in chapter 5 verse 9? He says, I wrote unto you an epistle not accompanied with fornicators. Where is that letter? Missing. Everybody said missing. So 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians and maybe 3rd or 4th. Who knows? And in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians he says, For though you have, uh, verse 15, For though you have 10,000 preachers or instructors in Christ, and he was exaggerating a little here, because I'm sure they didn't have 10,000. He says, though you have 10,000, it's a terminology that they used in those days to describe a large quantity that you could number. He says, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, Paul says, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. Now I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to ignore the ministry and follow Jesus. You see, you don't understand, but when Jesus told his disciples, I give unto you the keys to the kingdom, he meant that. For you to get into the kingdom, you had to follow the ministry that he gave the keys to. You're not praying to the ministry. You're not worshiping the ministry on your knees, but you're following the instruction because that was what Jesus gave to his ministry. And if you reject the minister, it is worse than the sin of sodomy. Uh, Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, he says, Into whatsoever city you enter, uh, inquire in that city who is worthy. And if, it, it, if they accept you, let your peace remain on that city. He says, and if they reject you as a minister, don't stick around. He says, stand up, get up. Walk to the corner of the end of the city where the city limit is and shake the dust off your feet and leave city, the city. He says, in the day of judgment, it will be worse for that city in God's judgment than for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that fire rained down from heaven and burned him up. Rejection of a minister that God call, has called is worse than the sin of sodomy. The judgment on a city that rejects a minister that God has called is worse than uh, the judgment that God unleashed on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you listening to me? I'm talking the word of God here today. And we've got limited time. And so Paul says... He says, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. He says, for this cause, verse 17, have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my faithful son 
and faithful, beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who will bring you in remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ. Timothy will bring you in remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ. When a pastor dies and he leaves that church, uh, there must be an element or a ministry that will keep on going further on in God, not backward. Many a preachers are worried that when they die, the church is going to go to hell because ministers have that those taking over the work don't have a vision. Is it possible that a church move ahead? Yes, it is. Ephesus moved ahead and a lot of other churches moved ahead. Moses was afraid that when he died that the work of in Israel would go to hell, but it didn't. Joshua was a good man. Joshua had the spirit of Moses, and when, he, when, the, when Moses died, Joshua led the nation of Israel in, in a better relationship with God than Moses had. In the days of Joshua governing the nation of Israel, Israel did not go after strange gods. Joshua did a good job. He did a more meticulous job, I would like to say, than Moses did. Moses had a job, he did the job, and he was done, and God buried Moses. And then Joshua took over, and the work of God moved on. We must see the work of God moving on. And today, we're glad on this Father's Day <clears throat> to remember that we have spiritual fathers, we have natural fathers, and my, I, we had a father, uh, he's not there anymore. Uh, Brother John, your dad is not there anymore. Brother Fid, your dad is not there anymore. Uh, we are at that place right now where our fathers are not there anymore. But if I had a father, and he was alive today, and they called his Father's Day, first thing in the morning, I would awake and I'll check him out. That's me, not you. If I had a dad and he was alive today, today is Father's Day, I would awake in the morning, early in the morning, already got my card, already got something I put aside for him, and I make today a special day for him. If you're listening to me today, whether in the local church or overseas, and you have a father that's still alive and you haven't done that, go home and turn the, 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 the shower onto extreme cold and take a cold shower for one hour. You're sick. But if you're living in this world, in this society, and you've got a dad and you haven't given him a card or tell him you love him or do something for him, you're not with it. You're lethargic, you're irresponsible, and if you're to become a father, your kids will do worse than that to you. I love my dad. I love the very dust he walked on. And he was not a dedicated Christian. And the last month he lived, I spent that month with him, 21 days. I went to Guyana and spent that 21 days, and I'm so glad I spent that 21 days with him. But beyond our natural father, I had spiritual fathers. And the last of my spiritual father, I had a father in Guyana, spiritual father called 
brother Harry Das. He was a spiritual father. He set a lot of good examples for me to follow. I'm not going to pick on his theology and he's not going to pick on mine. He's passed away, but he was a good man. Never did I ever find another man pray as much as he did. But he's gone. And my last father that I had, spiritual father, was brother Lloyd Goodwin. And he taught me 80% of the doctrinal changes that I have in my life. He's passed away. But while he was alive, I was one of his best disciples. That in those days I paid my tithes not to the church, but I paid it and put it in an when we went out for dinner with him, he was my spiritual dad. When I went out with dinner for him, Chandra and I would go, and he loves this expensive restaurant. That's my dad, whatever he wants, I'll give him. And Brother Goodwin, when he died, I believe it triggered a heart attack. And that is why my doctor said during that period of time, I had a, um, a heart a walking. I not only had walking pneumonia, but I had a, a heart attack while I walked around. It shows on my cardiogram, that long stroke down, and the doctor told me that. Because the man who was my spiritual father was gone. What you doing? I'm fatherless today as far as human beings are concerned. I'm a spiritual orphan today. I don't have a single man I can talk to on this planet and ask for spiritual advice. None. And I look at individuals that I have some confidence in and I lose it after a while because they get carried away with fame and popularity and the titles going to their heads and going to their brains and everyone want to be a doctor and a bishop and some lord somewhere. I have lost confidence in a lot of people. Today I stand and I'm so glad that beyond the human beings of this earth, I have a heavenly father that Jesus talked about. I want 10 minutes more of your time and I want to take you to the book of John. Uh, the gospel of John, today's Father's Day, right? Am I your spiritual father? Then sit there and don't complain. All right, here in John, the first chapter, <clears throat> John is writing and he, John does a different job than Luke. I love Luke. I love the way Luke wrote his gospel. I love him bringing to light things that none of the other gospels did. But John had a different approach. John, the beloved, he was the young man that put his chest on Jesus, uh, put his head on Jesus' chest. He was the young man that Jesus turned to when he was on the cross. And he said, John, behold your mom. And he pointed, he leaned over, he put, beckoned him to look after Mary. And he said, woman, behold your son. For Jesus to commission his Disciple to take care of his mother. He had a lot of confidence in John. And John is called the apostle of love. And his gospel has a different trend. 
And here in chapter 1, it says uh, concerning Jesus, who was the Word, in verse 14, it says, As the Word was made flesh, Jesus, the Word of God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we that were alive at that time beheld the glory, His glory, the glory as the only, only begotten of the Father. Here is a father-son relationship. Jesus was the only, and up to this point, is the only begotten of the Father. It says, full of grace. How we know he is begotten of the Father? He's full of the Father's grace, and the Father's truth, and everything else that accompanies the Father. And then John here in verse 18, he says, No man had seen God, that is the Father, at any time. Someone says, well, I saw God. No, you didn't. No man had seen God, the Father, at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. See, Jesus has declared unto us the very aspects of the Father. Hold your finger in John's Gospel and turn over with me here to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Paul writes and describes it like this. Now Paul says verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness had shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of the Father, of God the Father, where? In the face of Jesus. When you want to understand the Father, you can understand the Father by understanding the Son. When you understand the Son, you understand the Father. I'll leave uh, 1 Corinthians 4 and turn with me to Hebrews, the uh, first chapter of the book of Hebrews. Paul is writing uh, to the to the Jews here in the book of Hebrews. And he said here in chapter uh, 1 verse 1. God who at sundry times. And in divers manners spake in the time past unto the fathers. By the prophets. God the father. He speak in these last days by his son. See there is a son and father relationship. Two distinct entities. When someone says they are both mixed up. The father is the son and the son is the father. That's not true. They're two distinct entities. One is the begetter and the original creator. And one is the created or the begotten. The only begotten son of the father. Beautiful. And then he goes on here. He says, Had in these last days spoken to us by his son. Son, that is Jesus, whom the father used to... Uh, he appointed him heir of all things, and by whom he used to make the worlds. He says, Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the express image of the Father's person. He says, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty of high, at high. Right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that is why when Stephen 
uh, was being uh, stoned to death, he saw Jesus standing up at the right hand of the Father. See, the Father had said to the Son, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And that is where the Son is subject to the Father. And he manifests the Father. And the love between Jesus and his Father is beyond human vocabulary to describe. I've got five minutes left. It's beyond human vocabulary to describe. And so when we understand this, we come back here in John's Gospel. And John is doing such a good job in, in chapter, uh, chapter 1 and, and coming down in chapter, in chapter 5. Uh, when you have time, read about this in chapter 5. Uh, he calls it the Father. In chapter 5, verse uh, 17, And Jesus answered them and said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Uh, he said in verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought to kill him, be not because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said that God, Almighty God, was his Father, making himself equal with the Father. Uh, he was never said he was equal with the Father. He said, My Father is greater than I. Jesus prayed, he says, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Today, I was almost tempted to bring the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures with me. I have a copy of it. It's the Jehovah's Witness Bible. And I was going to bring that and show you in this church, but I didn't feel I needed to do that. In their own Bible, Jesus said to pray to the Father. In their own Bible, he addressed his father all the time. And when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your house, he says, Don't pray to the father. Pray to Jehovah. Can you see Andrew walking across to say, Moat? How are you, Moat? You think he's nuts, won't you? If he comes and says, Moat? He better not. Brother John said, he better not. <laughs> no. You can't call the Father. He's my Father. I'll pray to him and says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, dear Father. It is such a wonderful thing to have this relationship with the Father. We call him Abba, Father. Father, Father. The best thing that can happen to us is to understand how wonderful the Father is. And you can see this manifested in Jesus. And he goes down here in John 5 and John 6. And then in John 6, he, he keeps on talking about his father. But I want to bring you over here uh, in chapter 14. And before we bring this lesson to a close. But we can never close this lesson enough. And in chapter 14, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says... If, if, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in the Father. You believe in God. You believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. The margin has not mansions. But it has abodes. Uh, which is wrongly translated by the translators. Because you know mansion sounds good. You can't even take care of your room. But God is going to give you a mansion. Uh, when you resurrect. You know what are you going to do with that mansion? In my Father's house. Big house. It's not many rooms. In my father's house, there are mansions in the house. What a big house. Now, 
we are literalizing spiritual descriptions from scripture. In my father's kingdom, there are many places of abode. There are many dwelling places. And he says, if I go, I'll come again. And Jesus, Thomas said in verse 5, and he said to Jesus, We know not whither thou goest. How can we, you may know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. Just like no one can actually go to Jesus today uh, to get put in the kingdom because the keys are given to the ministry. See, we are so mixed up in our understanding of God. That is why we need the church and we need to understand the word of God like it should be understood. And then he says, if you had known me, Thomas says, show us the father. And Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known the father. Because why? Because the father is reflected in the face of his son, Jesus. That's what Paul said. Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. But because he is, the Father is invisible, but we can see him in the reflection of his Son. And that is why today I am thankful to God that the example Jesus has set to us, we might be able to incorporate that in our lives. Scripture gives us a lot of examples. It is sad if your pastor in this church, that is your spiritual father, scarcely hears from you or sees you <clears throat> but if you do that to your natural father you will do that to your spiritual father worse but remember everyone that the lord sends out your acceptance or rejection is very crucial for you and if you will not receive a love of the truth god shall send you strong delusions that you'll believe a lie and be damned and so Jesus went on here, he says, Philip, have I been so long with you? He says, verse 10, believest not that not thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the words which I speak, I speak not, I speak, uh, I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but I speak of the Father. Jesus never preached a message that the Father did not put in his mouth to, to preach. Jesus never called anyone to follow him that the father did not instruct him to call. Today, we are a bunch of jokers in the pulpit. We do our own stuff and then let the people feel that God is leading us. We need to pray that God should really lead us. One last scripture. I know I'm running beyond my time, but in John 17, and I want you to uh, read this when you go home. In John 17, Jesus is praying and it's a long prayer and this is the Lord's prayer he's praying to the father and he describes the father here from verse 1 he says these words spake Jesus as he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour is come and glorify your son he says please dad oh is that what he said no he said Jehovah hey Jehovah no it is sad that an entire movement can be wrong. And whether we are gospel assembly, or we are Jehovah's Witness, or we are the Seventh-day Adventists, or we are the Baptists, remember an entire movement could be wrong. There's over one, maybe one billion, how many Catholics there are in the world? 
about approximately one billion. 800 million to 900 million. How many Catholics in the world? Somebody checking that for me? 1.2 billion. 1.2 billion Catholics. And they all believe that Mary is still a virgin. Can 1.2 billion people be wrong? Absolutely. Mary is not a virgin. She had a lot of kids. She's not a virgin. But I had a vision last night that she appeared to me as a virgin. Well, what you had to eat before you slept was important. We could be a big fellowship feeling we're right in everything. Well, we might be right in some things, but we could very well be wrong in some things. And how many has had one false doctrine and Paul says his word will eat us to the canker. May God help us today. Because of time we have to conclude this service. But may God help us today to have reverence. Not only for our earthly fathers. But for the mothers who have filled that position as fathers. And when the dads are gone. And for spiritual fathers that are standing giving the church direction and guidance. Not to make themselves more exalted, but beyond that, may God give us that reverence for our dear Heavenly Father that love us so much that He gave the best gift anyone could ever give. He gave His only begotten Son that you and I can believe on Him and have everlasting life. Let us pray. Father, we thank You today for this day in Your house. Lord, there's so much to be said, so much to be talked about, so much to be cherished, Father. Would you give us a deep illumination in our hearts that we can comprehend the blessedness of your existence, dear Father. Help us, O oh Father, to see the reflection in the face of your Son that was manifested 2,000 years ago and is still present to those who desire it in our day. Touch our minds. Commit our future, Lord, into your hands. It's the best hands to be committed to. We pray that you'll be with us. Pardon us. Help us in our blindness. Open our eyes, we pray. And help us not to have this self-righteous, conceited spirit. But, oh God, to reflect your grace, your unmerited favor that you have shown to us to be able to reflect that to others around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.